This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is episode 11, and I'm going to talk about vaccinations for goats. Um, Before I get into the content, I'll just talk about some other general stuff. Um, First of all, everybody, thanks for listening. And again, I know I've said it, and I hope I don't sound like too much of a broken record, but really appreciate the feedback and the reviews um, and the positive response. So... um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I started doing this and talking to myself in my truck about various goat-related topics. So I'm glad it's helpful, and I'll keep, I'll keep doing it. Um, if you have a second and can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, that's great. Um, and I actually officially hit over 1,000 listens this week, so I felt like that's pretty good for a brand-new podcast. And uh, the goat, goat nation, goat world is getting the word out, so I appreciate you guys all sharing and listening. I have another episode in the works that's going to be a little bit... Um, timely and seasonal um, I think probably will be the next mess, uh, episode and I hope to have some time to sit down at my computer and actually record with a microphone on it. I'm going to do an episode on goat reproduction and like breeding basics uh, really. I started to record one in my truck and then I was like oh, I really should like I don't know, I feel like I should review my goat repro physiology and talk about all the hormones and all that stuff because physiology is way more fun when you don't have to take a test on it the next week in vet school. So I'm making some notes for that, and like I said, I'll try to sit down at the computer and actually record that one there so I can do a little bit uh, better better job at all those details that become a little foggy over time when you don't use them every day and don't need them for an exam the next week. But today I'm going to talk about vaccinations for goats. Uh, and there's, there's kind of like your basic typical vaccinations that are considered like the core vaccines. So core vaccines in vet med are kind of considered like the minimum coverage for vaccinations that any animal should have. So for like dogs, that's usually considered to be distemper and rabies. And then depending where you are or what your dog's lifestyle is, everything else is kind of considered to be risk-based. So if your dog goes to boarding or grooming your daycare, it's a good idea to vaccinate it for kennel cough. If your dog lives in New England, like my dogs do, it's a good idea to vaccinate them for Lyme disease, which I do. And if your dog is a dog that's outside a lot and access to any areas where there's wildlife or if it's an inner city dog where there's rodents around, it's a good idea to vaccinate for lepto. So those those are all like risk-based vaccines, though where distemper and rabies are considered core. For goats, the core vaccines I was taught in vet school are CDT and rabies. 
Uh, I guess I'll start with rabies because it's like everybody is at least somewhat familiar with what rabies is. Uh, it's a viral disease that any mammal can get and it is with like one or two individual human exceptions fatal period. Um, I, I get a little scared honestly in in more recent years that people don't realize that rabies is still out there. Um, in Maine and New Hampshire this summer we've had kind of a slew of rabies cases in wildlife where there's actually human exposure like I want to say there's been a good like six or eight cases like an otter and a raccoon and different mammal species that have either been acting inappropriately and humans were exposed or like full-on attacked humans and um, then those humans need to get rabies post-exposure protocol uh, which if you listen to I think it was episode three where it was tales from the road um, I talked about a little bit about that so in my area and the area I cover uh, for my ambulatory clients rabies is out there like there's that's and that's how it stays out there and that's why we have in the United States really pretty strict rabies vaccination protocols for our small animal species in Maine and New Hampshire that's dogs cats ferrets horses cattle um, sheep maybe not actually in the rabies rules for at least Maine um, but it's not it's not something that you mess around with really and that's why I feel like I said if you listen to episode three that's why I spent a whole bunch of time stressing out and driving all over Maine and New Hampshire with a pig head in my truck uh, but if you don't know what I'm talking about go listen to episode three um, it's it's not something to mess around with uh, so for goats like I said I in vet school where I went we were taught that rabies is a core vaccine for goats and, and small ruminants in general. So the rabies vaccine that I give goats is kind of, it's the large animal rabies vaccine. Um, the one I use is called Imrab. It is labeled for horses, cattle, and sheep. Uh, this is the same vaccine that many other vets also give to swine for example uh, swine that maybe aren't in commercial channels so a lot of our swine in the country are pretty intensively raised like inside and don't go out and don't really have a lot of exposure to wildlife or therefore don't have a lot of rabies exposure possibility uh, but like pet pigs or uh, pigs that are in any kind of like petting zoo or farm that people visit, things like that, where there's a concern for wildlife exposure and or human exposure, it's kind of a, a good idea to vaccinate them for rabies. So even though pigs are off-label for that vaccine, it's very, very widely accepted that it is very, very likely protective. Uh, it's an annual vaccine. It's given once a year. It has to be given by a veterinarian. Uh, yeah, it's generally really well tolerated. I, I think even in small animal patients, I don't think I've seen maybe like one vaccine reaction to rabies. 
So, yeah. So that's that's rabies. Uh, the other vaccination that's considered core for goats is most commonly called CDT. So that is a combination vaccine. And the CD part of CDT stands for Clostridium perfringens types C and D. And the T part stands for tetanus. So tetanus is also a clostridial bacterium. There's a whole plethora of clostridia out there. They're, they're kind of everywhere. Uh, but what they do is they make these little spores and they make toxins, basically. So tetanus is maybe a little bit more like familiar to people in general because like humans get tetanus vaccines and we get like Tdap or whatever which I honestly the T is tetanus I honestly don't even know what the DAP part is I'd have to look it up uh, but like you get that once every 10 years and that should maintain your tetanus immunity but then if you classic example step on a rusty nail and have a deep puncture wound you often get a tetanus booster because tetanus is it's funny that it, i mean it's i mean it's not funny but it's everywhere like it's in the environment it, and in any kind of wound it has potential to proliferate grow and cause disease and like i mentioned these these clostridial organisms they make toxins so tetanus toxin is what causes the lockjaw which causes the the tetany tetany is like the muscle spasms um, where the the muscles are just so firmly locked i guess in human medicine this can actually cause like the muscle contractions from tetanus in human patients or in humans that are affected by tetanus can be so severe that the muscles will break the human's bones uh, so it's the same, it's the same kind of idea with animals. And once the, once the toxin has bound to the receptors in the skeletal muscle, so skeletal muscles are the ones that we move consciously. So like your arm muscles, your finger muscles, the things that you think about moving and you can control voluntarily. Smooth muscle is the other kind of type the type of muscle and it is like the muscle that's in your intestines so when you're just sitting around you're not thinking about your intestines squeezing and contracting and mixing all your ingested food around but they are doing that so those are smooth muscles and those are not under voluntary control tetanus toxin binds irreversibly so we can't do anything about it once it's stuck on there it's this little you know it's a molecule it's a it's a protein whatever that is going to match up with the skeletal muscle receptor and then once it's on there it's not going to go away basically like new new fibers need to form around it kind of um, it's it's stuck there and that's the biggest problem with tetanus in our vet veterinary patient species uh, that when it happens, like these muscles are all stiff and rigid, the animals can't walk or move adequately, adequately, they fall down, they can't swallow well, they can't even open their mouths to prehend food and get it in 
or water, they need intensive supportive care if they're going to survive uh, a bout of tetanus. So it's one of those things, I mean, like in humans, you know, you're looking at like weeks to months of liquid diet, IV fluids, probably, I don't even know, in human med, um, because like we don't have a good answer for humans either. I've seen a couple cases of tetanus in goat kids, uh, and it's it's not fun. I've euthanized a couple for tetanus. Uh, the, the vaccine is considered effective. Uh, it's recommended to be boosted annually. CDT is something that you can buy over-the-counter. Uh, you can buy it online. You can buy it at Tractor Supply. I would say the vast majority of my GOAT clients do that and give it themselves. Uh, it can be given under the skin and generally very well tolerated. The CD part, like I mentioned, is Clostridium perfringens type C and D, and those are... Uh, those make toxins that affect the gastrointestinal system. So they really just kind of really do a number on the intestines, mostly like the small intestinal system in a ruminant when they have an an overgrowth of uh, that type of bacteria, and then that type of bacteria makes a lot of toxin. When you do a necropsy on an animal that you're suspicious of uh, clostridial, clostridial GI infection, these animals, like you often find them acutely dead because of the severity of the toxin affecting the GI so, so rapidly and so severely. And when you open them up, you see that the intestines are discolored dark red um, and just the toxin is overwhelming that system. Uh, again, the vaccine certainly helps, and there's kind of varying opinions on like how often it should be given. I I recommend annually. Again, you're boosting the tetanus, you're boosting the C and D clostridium immunity, and um, it's not it's not going to hurt, and it might help. I have heard of cases of herds of small ruminants, sheep or goats, where they were having such a difficult time in losing animals to clostridial disease, uh, clostridium C or D, so severely that they moved to a twice a year boosting protocol, and that seemed to help uh, decrease the losses. So that, you know, you're really just stimulating that immune system more to produce more antibody. While I'm talking about CDT, I'll also touch on the other product that's out there, a couple different products that are out there that are um, sometimes confusing, and that's the antitoxins. So CDT vaccine is also sometimes labeled CDT or CDNT toxoid, so T-O-X-O-I-D. And the other product that you might see on the, on the shelf is Clostridium perfringens type C and D antitoxin and or, um, well, no, not, not and or, just or. You won't find these together in a combo, but you will also find tetanus antitoxin. 
Um, so those are different, you know, different biologicals. And the difference between toxoid and antitoxin is that toxoid is stimulating the animal to make, to make, basically to make its own antitoxin. So the body is stimulated by that antigen in that vaccine, and then it makes antibodies. And the antibodies stick around and protect the animal in the event of future exposure to that antigen. The, the antitoxin is something that's given when you think you have a problem. They don't interact with each other, for example, if I'm doing a procedure like a cat, like an open castration, a castration in an older male goat that I'm doing a surgical castration and it's not up on not up to date on CDT, or if I have to do something like a dehorning, I will not infrequently give tetanus antitoxin. So then the antitoxin is on board in case for whatever reason either of those wounds becomes t- contaminated with tetanus and then those organisms start to make the toxin and like I said the toxin is what what is going to make the problem then the antitoxin is on board to start to snatch up the toxin before it starts to be a problem for the muscles I will also give that animal a if it's never had CDT or if it's been a while I will give it a vaccine so that's going to stimulate the immune system to make antibody and then if it's if it's never been vaccinated or if it's been a while I will boost it in about four to six weeks three to five weeks somewhere in that interval the same thing with clostridium C and D antitoxin uh, if you are concerned about GI problems, if you have something that's looking painful, looking like its guts hurt, uh, it's not going to hurt to give antitoxin. Um, and that's going to bind up the clostridial toxin that is present. So that's the idea behind antitoxin versus toxoid. Um, I also mentioned giving a booster for this. So the first time that it's given to like a goat kid at maybe like 12 weeks old is fine. Um, give one and then give a booster in about three to five weeks. And then it's good for a year. And if you are giving it to an adult animal on an annual basis, that's great. If you want to time these in your milking does or breeding for meat does also um, if you want to time these to have their annual boosters run at I would shoot for like four to six weeks before kidding that's great because then you're stimulating what you're doing is stimulating the dam's immune system and she's going to make her immune system is going to be like okay I need to respond I need to be ready for Clostridium, C and D, and tetanus, and then when she makes colostrum, she's going to go ahead and make colostrum that's better for C D and tetanus. So if you're 
if you're working on that, like if you, however, however your schedule works, like look at the calendar. If you've got doe kids that were born in like March and then they got their initial vaccines in like March, April, May and June. So then like their annual would come up in June. Um, whether you do, they're big and you do like first freshening yearlings, you could boost them in, I, I don't usually breed my first freshening yearlings till December, so then they would kid in May, so you could boost them in like early April. And um, then hopefully they're passing on a more robust immune response to clostridiums type C and D, as well as tetanus to their babies in that uh, passive transfer of maternal antibodies. And I think I mentioned before, I'll talk a whole a whole episode about passive transfer. It's super cool. That'll be coming probably over the winter when we're getting close to kidding. So rabies and CDT are the are what I was taught are core vaccines. The rabies is given by a vet. Um, and another reason to to give a rabies vaccine, and this varies state to state. So, for example, in Maine, an animal with a suspected or known rabies exposure, um, it's what happens with that animal is going to be determined by its vaccination status. Because that animal... Like, so if you have a goat that has been vaccinated for rabies and then you come out one morning and it's got a wound and the wound looks like some kind of bite or whatever, and it's a wound of unknown origin, that has to be treated as a possible rabies exposure. Um, And in some states, an unvaccinated animal with a possible rabies exposure needs to be euthanized because of the significant concern for public health. In other states, and I'm pretty sure Maine's on this list, we do allow like a quarantine period for observation of clinical signs of rabies. So usually it happens pretty quickly, um, but if your animal is vaccinated against rabies and in goats, it's going to be off-label, but you're probably you're probably protected. So your your state vet or your your primary vet is going to say we have to treat this as a possible rabies exposure, but I gave this animal a rabies vaccine six months ago. You know, it's gonna be quarantined, needs to not be exposed to other people, needs to be not exposed to other animals, and I can't remember what the time period is on it. I have little printouts because of working in both Maine and New Hampshire. They're a little different. Um, And I always look at them when I run into this case. Uh, The, you know, you quarantine them and then they're probably good because they got a rabies vaccine. So they get through the quarantine period and you're good to go. It's not, there's not... Aside from the fact that, like, yes, you need to pay your vet to come out and give your rabies vaccine, and, you know, it's there's an expense involved. There's not, a, in my opinion, there's not a negative side to giving the rabies vaccine. So, 
rabies one and done every year cdt give one boost it in three to five weeks and then annual and try to switch up your schedule for your freshening dose so that their annual is before kidding about a month before they kid and for those does if you're moving their schedule around i would try to boost it sooner rather than later so within that one year interval so they get a good immune response still so that's core vaccines Uh, other vaccinations sometimes are used in goats and i'll be perfectly honest and say i don't have a ton of experience with using them and some people have used them it's all very very anecdotal because goats are minor species and drug companies don't see that there's a lot of money to be made from investing lots of research money into goats so a couple different ones here that i'll touch on Uh, one is the respiratory uh, intranasal vaccine which is it's a calf vaccine uh, so there is administration of especially respiratory pathogens uh, the the vaccines for those respiratory pathogens can be given orally or um, intranasal which means the the vaccination is squirted into the nose and some dairy probably some beef operations to dairy cow operations have a protocol where they will give an intranasal vaccine to all calves that are born. Uh, The advantage of intranasal vaccines is that they provide a more immediate immune response. There's a whole wide world of immunology where uh, the immunoglobulins, so the antibodies that are made in the body are specific to different like parts of the body so um there and i can't honestly can't remember which ones where but and some stick around for longer and the idea behind the um the intranasal vaccines so the vaccines that go on the calf noses or if you have a dog that gets vaccinated for bordetella which is kennel cough you might see that your vet put it in their nose or in their mouth so the idea behind those is that they're showing the administration of those antigens directly to the mucosal surface so again that's like the wet surface of the sinuses the nasal passages the mouth is going to stimulate that tissue directly and respiratory pathogens are more likely to like that's they're picked up by inhaling so if you're gonna sniff something into your nose and it's maybe gonna make you sick it can the idea is that it's more useful to have antibodies to that thing that's gonna make you sick uh in your nose rather than just like kind of systemically in your circulation whatever the antibody is there in the mucosa and it's ready to stick on to the the bug and then the immune system will kill it so yeah there's different uh intranasal calf vaccines because they're 
and I should look up. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll do a search uh, because there's different bovine respiratory pathogens, and we have a lot of uh, different vaccinations for our cattle patients for different respiratory pathogens, and all of that stuff is you know pretty off-label for goats, but there is some thought about especially some of the viral pathogens being able to infect goats and make them sick so giving that those uh, intranasal respiratory vaccinations is one way that you know maybe you can help avoid it again super off-label you can and those are they're not diseases of human importance so often those vaccines are available to order available over the counter um, but you know talk to your vet and I, I might not bother doing this if you don't have an issue or you don't have animals that are at high risk for respiratory disease things that can put animals at higher risk for respiratory disease stress transport um, poor ventilation overcrowding um, all, all of those things, uh, exposure to other animals. So like they go to shows, those are, those are things to consider just like your dog. If he, like my dogs don't get boarded, they don't go to daycare, they don't go to grooming and they pretty much stay home all the time. So I don't routinely vaccinate them for Bordetella. They don't have exposure for it. Uh, that's kennel cough. And if I know I'm going on a trip and they have to be boarded, then I make sure to plan ahead and boost them their Bordetella because I don't want them to get kennel cough. So risk-based risk uh, very much. The other kind of off-label and kind of probably experimental vaccination that I have a little bit of experience with is one for uh, staph aureus so it's not it's out there it's called lysogen or I'm gonna google it real quick um, it's a vaccine for staph aureus which is a mastitis pathogen in dairy cows um, and It's not really used very much um, in dairy cows, mostly. Like, we still don't have a great answer for lysogen. Okay, there we go. That's the, that's the name of the Staph aureus vaccine. Uh, so, sorry. The lysogen vaccine is for Staph aureus. And it's a, Staph aureus as a mastitis pathogen is a pretty significant issue in the dairy cow industry. Um, and I'll talk about mastitis in another episode too, for sure. Um, the, the use of this vaccination in goats, I've considered it in my own herd, um, but not because of mastitis, uh, more because of like little skin pyodermas. So pyoderma is like a, a little pustules, an infection of the skin. Um, and we had a little outbreak one year after we built our new barn. And I don't know if it was just because like different environment and different like microbiome going on in there and we also had a lot of first freshening does 
that uh, they they all develop these little kind of pustules on their udders, and it's not it's not a crisis. It's just kind of a pain to deal with, and. I most most commonly it's Staph aureus. Staph aureus is like a really common uh, commensal of the skin. So that's a bug that just lives on the skin, and it doesn't do anything bad to us, and it doesn't do anything bad to like the goat that it's living on. It's a super super common bug. It is a problem when it gets up in the udder quite often, and you've certainly heard of like MRSA, which is like methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. It can be a giant pain, but mostly it's just like everywhere and doesn't cause a problem unless it's causing like this little pyoderma. Um, and the idea behind that would be to vaccinate to prevent not necessarily the mastitis but maybe it would help and uh, but I'd be looking more for prevention of that pyoderma by uh, boosting the body's immune response to the, the staph aureus organism so again if you had any inclination of doing that talk to your vet um it's all that stuff is like way that's me like going out in the weeds honestly of vet med and that's not something that's even talked about in vet school really uh, like not even a little bit so again that's, that's me me going out there and you know those things are out there you might hear people talk about them and it's you know it's not it's not core it's it's definitely risk based and uh there's probably some other vaccines out there um another respiratory uh pathogen that people might vaccinate for is pasteurella which is just another it's a bacteria that can cause pneumonia um i don't routinely vaccinate with it i don't really recommend people routinely vaccinate with it so so a lot of these a lot of these vaccines are very much risk-based environment-based and it's very reasonable to look at your herd look at their exposures look at what their risks are and talk with your vet if you think you want to vaccinate for things you don't need to do it just because like you see oh xyz fancy herd on the facebook is doing it or this herd that i know over on the other side of town is doing it um I'm certainly not anti-vaccine by any stretch of the imagination. I, I believe in vaccines. I believe in preventing disease rather than dealing with it if we can. Uh, but also, like, I believe in being smart about it and not, you know, spending tons of money on things that are superfluous and unnecessary and, uh, you know, not just, you know, why, why do it if you don't need to? So that's my little spiel about vaccines. If you have any questions or comments or you've heard of some other vaccine and you want me to talk about it, uh, feel free to shoot me an email or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions of topics, um, all those things, shoot me an email, goatdoccara, G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. And there's a little contact tab at the website, which is goatdoc.com. 
And you can also find me on the Instagram at goat underscore doc. And if you haven't already and you would like to leave some feedback on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe, rate, and review, that would be awesome. I really appreciate it. appreciate the feedback. And like I said, I've got a I've got an episode in the works about basic reproduction, goat goat breeding for beginners, and goat breeding physiology. So that will be coming soon, I hope. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Meh. <laughs>